On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent has a guest in studio today, and that is Judy Pearson. Judy is an award-winning author. Her second book, Wolves at the Door, is a bestseller and has been purchased for a movie. Judy's most recent book, From the Shadows to Life, a biography of the cancer survivorship movement, was released in 2021. Following her recover from triple negative breast cancer, Judy founded A Second Act, a nonprofit organization that helps guide female cancer survivors to their second act in life through storytelling, live performances, workshops, and micro-grants. Judy has been honored by the American Association of Cancer Research and was named one of Chicago's most inspirational women and a Phoenix healthcare hero. Along with several other organizations, she is a member of the Society of Integrative Oncology, American Association for University Women, and Women of Central Phoenix. That is an amazing biography. Brent, why did you bring Judy on the show today? Judy is one of my all-time favorite people and one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. And I thought that, you know, now we are coming on to a two-year anniversary of uh, since COVID really hit mm-hmm. and became this global issue. Two years of 15 days to <laughs> to, start to flatten the curve, I guess. And I think over this past two years, it's been a huge period of time where people have had a lot of setbacks and a lot of disappointments. And uh, Judy has had a few of those in her life as well. But she's she's been able to transmute that disappointment, those setbacks, and it's just some really incredible life experiences. And I thought that it would be really valuable just to bring her to some of the listeners to, to hear what she has to say about everything that's going on over the last couple of years, but also, you know, how we turn these challenging and disappointing life events into a greater place than we ever could imagine. Oh, I'm so excited. Judy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. And like Brent said, he's one of my all-time favorite people, too. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm going to start with a story, and then I'll turn it over to you. So it was, and forgive me if I get the date, dates wrong, but it was 2011 when you were being treated for breast cancer, correct? Correct, yep. yeah. And I remember it was, I think it was it was July or, July or August of 2011. I called you up. You were in Michigan at the time, and you were undergoing some pretty tough treatments, and I asked you how you were feeling. And your answer to me, this always stuck with me. You said, I feel absolutely terrible, but that's great, because if I feel this bad, can you imagine how bad the the cancer feels right (laughs) now? And I got off the phone, and it it just was, it was was such an amazing experience hearing you turn something, being sick and awful, and going through this horrific diagnosis and pushing through that, and being able to look at it through that kind of lens. First, where does that come from in your life? That that sense of optimism. I I I think it's I think it's genetic actually. Um and now that my children are grown, my brother's children are grown, and we joke about, you know, the, the um, and actually I also have a 20-year-old granddaughter, so we joke about this vine that kind of goes through the family. So we're never late, often very early for things. We try to look at stuff, you know, glass half full. Um, we are very organized and we are our own worst critics. And I can say that without hesitation about both my sons, who you know, and uh, my granddaughter is going the same direction. And I think my brother and I got that from, from 
our parents. Um, they were this fabulous combination of, my dad was kind of a com- combination of um, Archie Bunker, uh, John Wayne, and George Patton, General Patton. And my mother was calm and kind. And as a little girl, I always, and my dad was a hunter. So I always thought like, you know, he was larger than life. As an adult, I realized that I learned as much from this calm, quiet mother as I did from this larger-than-life father. And so I think that um, they both died. My mother died at the age of 66 from uh, a lung disease, not cancer. My dad lived another 10 years after that. They were both lifetime smokers, so no big surprise there. So they weren't around when I was going through cancer, but I I just dug deep. And, you know, and part of it, too, was it was this crazy time in my life. I was a newlywed. I had had um, two marriages that lasted for 15 years each. I don't give up easily. <laughs> and so when my... What, what happened at 15 years? I what, know. What was 15 years I don't demarcation? Know. I don't know, but I told my forever husband, look, I'm not going to be divorced anymore. If this doesn't work, I'm just going to kill you. <laughs> It'll be way cleaner. Um, but so we were newlyweds, and uh, my eldest son, who who was a career Air Force counterintelligence uh, agent, was about to be deployed to Afghanistan. And so I just, I felt like, and my youngest son, who you know best, had just found the love of his life again. And so I was thinking, I, I just need to step up and live for these people. And so I just kind of put everything aside and said, okay, let's do this. I think you're uniquely positioned to do that as well, because even prior to your diagnosis, you were speaking on particularly women's courage and wrote a few books on that. And you think that that exploring the lives of some of these women that have done really incredible things and have had, again, for lack of a better word, very courageous lives, did that knowledge help set you up for success as you dealt with your own challenge? I think so, and I have to correct you. The, the Courage book actually did not come to be for a very good reason that I'm happy to explain <clears throat> in a minute. But the first two books that I'd written were about ordinary people who'd been extraordinarily courageous during World War II. One right. was a man, one was a woman. And I got to thinking about wow, you know, men and women's courage is different. It's important to recognize that as women, because men's courage is always very physical and very exciting and and not so much for women. And so in doing research for that book, I one, one of the chapters, ironically, was about courage in the face of chronic or catastrophic illness. And my next door neighbor had a friend who was at that time uh, living with metastatic ovarian cancer. And her story was so astounding. She lived in New Orleans. She gets this cancer diagnosis. And the day she's supposed to have surgery, the levees break (laughs) because of Katrina. Everything in her sphere was wiped out. Her place of business, all her personnel records with all of her insurance information, the hospital, her doctor's office, her home. So there, there was no place for her to go for surgery. And we, I never thought about that before with regard to that. There was so much awfulness associated with that flood. And so it took another couple months before she could actually get rescheduled. You can't just go to anybody and say, hey, take my ovaries out. And so they went to stay with her sister somewhere in Pennsylvania. It had already spread. 
And then she discovered that she had the the BRCA mutation, so she had to have more surgery to have a double mastectomy. So anyway, she's telling me this story, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really interesting. And then she says, this is the pre-cancer Judy listening, then she says to me, so I started this support group. They went back to New Orleans. The hospital you know, got back up and running. I went back to New Orleans, and I started a support group for women at the hospital with metastatic ovarian cancer. I write a newsletter, and I'm thinking to myself, she's got stage four cancer. I mean, her clock is ticking. Why is she wasting her time doing something like that? She should be cruising. She should be, you know, crossing stuff off her bucket list. And when I was diagnosed with cancer and started processing it all, and and after the the really acute phase of treatment was over, started going back through my files, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get I'm a storyteller and and so that book was about a subject I was going to tell stories through it but it didn't quite fit but I came across Chris's story and I started reading it and I thought I get it now you get that diagnosis or any other horrific news and once you're over the shock part and you get to the other side whatever the other side looks like it's it's this weird thing that happens where you just really want to use that to to help make other people's lives better. And and so I had already experienced some of that watching survivors in my little sphere, but that I would meet at, at the hospital or during treatment. But that really that really settled in with me and I thought, yeah. The giving back part and then there was another chapter about courage in volunteering and the preeminent volunteer researcher was ironically at arizona state university and as you said at that time i was living back in michigan and so we came out here we came every year anyway while we lived there and i interviewed him and what researchers had found and continue to find is that there are bona fide health benefits to volunteering or pro-social behavior and it, and and who doesn't need health benefits you know in spades but somebody who's sick a cancer survivor someone else who's dealing with catastrophic illness true and i think another thing that you've told me that, that has resonated is so many people get this terrible diagnosis Many don't get through it, but a lot more do. And there's never been a rule book or a playbook for what happens afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, oh, wow, you're done. Congratulations. But you're really not. No. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit more about that, what the post-recovery looks like? You're, you're, you're really never done. And, you know, we have physical scars. We have emotional scars. We have long-term effects from treatment. And would I trade that? Any of that for my life? Absolutely not. You know, I always tell people I got new boobs and new hair. This is a great trade. <laughs> but the treatment, the drugs by themselves, they, my one particular drug that's a platinum based drug has known joint issue, joint complications. So in my case, it settled in my feet and my ankles. So my toes, my ankles, my foot bones. Oh my gosh. It, initially it was just awful i spent a summer with my feet in ice buckets because i couldn't i couldn't get around it was just ridiculous and 
just in the news. So <clears throat> yesterday, P.J. O'Rourke, uh, it was announced that P.J. O'Rourke had, had died. He'd been battling lung cancer, but the cancer didn't get him. It was complications from the cancer and, and maybe from his treatment. So that kind of segues into the book that just came out a year ago. Can I talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah, you're good. So that book is uh, a group biography, but it's the subtitle is uh, a, a biography of the cancer survivorship movement. So ironically, as recently as the 1980s, there were still people who were concerned about whether or not cancer was contagious. In the 1980s. In the 1980s. Now this was that was that was a big belief earlier than that when we didn't understand how cancer works, that it's more than one disease, it's hundreds of diseases, especially in the 50s, you know, we, we solved the polio problem and the tuberculosis problem. But those are, the, are diseases that have maybe a couple cousins. Cancer, it, it's hundreds of diseases, because every cell in the body can become cancerous. So you can't just give somebody a pill and say, okay, you're better. In the 1980s, you could be asked on a job application, if you'd ever been diagnosed with cancer, because employers didn't want to mess with you. You were a sickly lot. You were, you know, even if you weren't contagious, you were going to miss a lot of work. And you couldn't join the military. You couldn't adopt children. College age cancer survivors, childhood survivors, couldn't find roommates in college because the parents of the other kids were afraid that their kids would catch cancer. So this group of people came together in 1986 and said, this stops now. This is ridiculous. There were no support groups for cancer survivors. There were groups that helped you get through it at the time. But like you said, you get the balloons, you get the cupcake, you ring the bell, goodbye, have a good life. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. That was the scariest day Quite honestly, that was that was scarier than the diagnosis because I could immediately start researching and see, okay, so triple negative, that's only 15% of all cancer, breast cancer diagnoses, super aggressive. Um, you know, here's what I need to do. Here's, I researched my, my surgery, my reconstruction, my chemo drugs. It never occurred to me to research survivorship. So this group of people that came together in 1986 said, the first thing we're going to do is define survivorship. It was, you know, maybe you're a survivor at three years, maybe you're a survivor at five years, maybe you're a survivor at 10 years. But what happens if you get cancer the day after you cross that moving threshold or that moving goal line? Are you no longer a survivor? So they said, survivorship starts at the moment of diagnosis, because that's when you start surviving cancer. Mm. And you're a survivor through the balance of your life, whether you're told that you have to live with your disease or that you have no evidence of disease. And that's such a freeing concept for, for those people who I've met, some very, very dear friends who have stage four disease. They're always going to have cancer, but they're already survivors. And I think that's really cool. You give me a great segue now mm -hmm. into a second act. Mm -hmm. so, so this, to me, seems like this was your main project that, that came out of your experience. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I got to the other side of cancer. I had this really inspiring story that I shared with you uh, about Chris, uh, the woman from New Orleans. I had all of this volunteering health benefit data. I was meeting survivors, primarily women survivors, of all cancers who were doing something in their survivorship, whatever that looked like. 
And I just thought to myself, wow. So it's kind of like on the other side of cancer, you get a second chance. On the other side of acute treatment, you get a second chance to do something. So you can either crawl under the covers with jelly donuts and a bottle of Jack, or you can say, I'm not going to waste a single day, not a single day, because I now know those days can be numbered. I couldn't find this, the Courage book didn't feel right. I couldn't find the next story to tell. So I decided to start this organization to support and celebrate women survivors of all cancers who are giving back to the greater good, whatever that looks like, whether it's starting their own organizations, volunteering for existing organizations, just random acts of kindness. It didn't matter to me what their second act was. And because I'm a storyteller, I decided we were going to raise money for the organization with a live storytelling event. And so women audition uh, for a cast of eight. I am not on the audition team. I loop people in, and I think you might be on my short list for the next time. The whole premise of this uh, live storytelling event is these eight women sharing their, you know, 15, 10-minute stories, not about how awful cancer was, because that's not a big surprise, and we don't want to bring the audience down with that, but rather saying, and then I did X. And the money that we raise allows us to do the, the simplest thing we do, and in fact, we have one tonight. It's called Girls Night Out. And it's open to any survivors of any cancer. It's mostly women, but we let the boys in too. Co-survivors, part of the medical community. It's just survivors networking with one another, sharing, you know, hey, how's it going? What are you doing today? Somebody said after their first girls' night out a couple years ago, I've never seen so many cancer survivors so happy in my life. <laughs> and um, we do workshops. Those are women only because we want it to be really authentic and a comfortable place for women to really open up and talk about what their second acts might look like. Because a lot of times it, it doesn't need to be, a second act doesn't need to be one more thing on the to-do list. You know, you've already got job and kids and your mother and, and trying to work out and who needs one more thing. But what skills, what interests, what, what passions could you maybe share with some other people? That's a second act. And then lastly, we use the money to um, fund our micro grants, which we make every year, anywhere between three and five $1,000 micro grants to women who want to launch or grow their second acts. And while we are Arizona centric, Arizona based, <clears throat> we have now had 56, I think, women share their stories on our stages and they're all on our website. So no matter where you live in the world, you can sort the women by cancer type, or you can just watch them all. And they're short. They're, you know, as I say, they're short um, stories of, of jaw-dropping. And they're funny. Some of them are hilarious, jaw-dropping inspiration. And then we also put those in, in a book that's a, an ever-evolving collection. 35 Stories is, is about the max in there. And those are available for sale on Amazon. So you can, you can get inspiration that way, too. Well, some of the stories are incredible. I've heard many of them. In your experience, 
dealing with people that have survived these illnesses, how you've said that you wouldn't change anything about your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Is that unique and rare? How many people are in that camp that you are in saying, you know what, this was challenging, it was terrible, but it ended up being one of the most profound, if not amazing things that happened to me, versus how many people are stuck mourning the loss of their old life? I don't know if you can quantify that, but... so. So one of the things that that I always tell people, whether they're cancer survivors or they've experienced anything, and listen, I've been through it all. You know, my parents died. My uncle killed himself. I had to go clean it up. The divorces. You never told me that story. Oh, geez. That's a whole other podcast. So, you know, it's not like I'm this Pollyanna that just has skated through life. But the fact of the matter is, when something bad happens to you, you can't undo that. I can't undo the fact that I had cancer. So then I'm faced with a choice. What do I do next? And one of the exercises, or or how am I going to live my days either on the dark side or on the bright side? And one one of the exercises that we do in the workshops Um, one of the very first things we do is I put giant sticky pads, sticky sheets on the walls and I ask women, and these workshops are usually 25 to 30. I ask the group, what did cancer take from you? What would you tell cancer if you could tell it something? What, uh, what are some of the worst things that have happened to you? And we make, you know, the list goes on and on and on. By the end of the workshop, after we've talked about all the possibilities, I say to them, now what do you think cancer has gifted you? What do you think is better about you because of that experience? And they are shocked that we get just as many, often more, sheets full of things on the positive side. And I, I also have been astounded by the realization myself and sharing this with groups as well, if it weren't for cancer, I wouldn't have met any of these people. And I am so inspired by them. The woman, because of a second act, I met the woman who became the inspiration for the book that came out last year. She's astounding. She's surviving her fourth cancer. She was a Vietnam combat nurse. I mean, she's just, she's like this amazing woman. And, and three of her four cancers are as a result of being over-treated in the 70s because we didn't know then that you can't blast somebody's chest with radiation and not have them get lung cancer and have heart disease afterwards. So so I I try to encourage people to think about that because there really are so many, if you are willing to look, there are so many little flowers of, of benefit that you can find. There's treasure in your wreckage, bottom line. And, and the interesting thing, <clears throat> when this whole COVID curtain fell in 2020, and I was listening to the news reports, and everybody was afraid, you know, if I get it, am I going to die? How long is it going to last? Doesn't look like there's any end in sight. I'm missing all the stuff that I that I was going to do. I had to cancel vacations. You know, I have to have my kids at home. And it occurred to me, 
oh my gosh, those are some of the very things that we as cancer survivors think about. So I went to the Purple Tribe, which is the the uh, which are all the cast members who've been in our stage performances, and I asked them to give me. Um, some tips for getting through dark days. And we did a whole series of Facebook posts, like 60 of them, I think, about, you know, we know what it's like to look this, to look a disease with no end in sight square in the face. And so that then made me realize, wow, you know, so it doesn't matter what your challenge is. You just, you can't undo the challenge. So you just have to figure out how can I lend a hand to somebody facing something equally dangerous, equally I, dire. You bring up COVID and it's definitely something I wanted to talk about today because, you know, we've got clients in 25, 26 states now. And I will say that the amount of pain that people have been put through in the last two years, not so much just because of COVID or the fear of COVID, but because of this massive reaction that society has had to COVID. We have people delaying medical treatments. You've had severe mental illness in terms of people that have been locked in their house. You've had businesses that have been dramatically impacted and it hasn't stopped for two years. What kind of lessons, I guess, how have you handled all of this? Has this, because you've seemed very optimistic through this entire process over the last couple of years. Um, is it because it's all in perspective relative to what you dealt with in the past with your own cancer diagnosis? I don't know if that's a real clear question. It is. But. It is. And, and I think to a certain extent it is. And, and it's funny. <clears throat> so a month ago, I got COVID, and, um, which is pretty funny because both my sons, my daughters-in-law, all my grandchildren all had COVID. And in fact, when my son, like the day before he tested positive, he and I were working on a wood project together, building a wall and a feature wall in my backyard. I'm holding the boards up and he's running the drill over my shoulder. So if I was going to get it from him, that was going to be COVID all That's over right. You. That's yeah. exactly it. But anyhow, so then in, so, you know, I stayed in bed. I watched lots of Netflix. I did what everybody's done. But um, in telling in just talking about it to, to people and saying, yeah, I had COVID last week or I had COVID three weeks ago or had COVID last month. Some of the reactions are like, oh, oh my God, are you okay? And my response has been, I'm sorry, you must not have heard me. I said, COVID, not cancer. Yeah. Big difference. <laughs> big, big difference. Yeah. I and, and yes, I am a genetically disposed optimistic person. But, but the bottom line is, the first thing anybody has to do, I, the first thing that I do that makes me feel better about whatever challenge I'm facing is to step back and say, okay, so what are the knowns? What, what do we know here? What are the unknowns? How can we bolster the knowns and mitigate the unknowns and get through to the other side? And um, we know so much more about COVID now. I mean, the follow the science line makes everybody chuckle, but the, the science has defined it. We, we know what it is. The tiny, tiny percentage who have been, um, who have had serious illness and death as a result of it, we know that they had comorbidities, that they had other issues that, you know, a bad case of pneumonia or the, or the regular flu might have taken them out as well. Sure. And so I think that it's just 
all a perspective sort of a thing. My beloved cousin died last year, not from COVID, excuse me, not of COVID, but from COVID. He developed some some issues that if I had been able to see him the summer before and he had told me those things, I would have known instantly that his melanoma had come back and right. I would have thrown him in the car. He d- was not a doctor person and dragged him to the doctor when we were visiting in uh, the summer in Michigan. And instead, nothing happened. And by the time the diagnosis came, it was already too late. And and that's that's not a unique case that happened so often. And it breaks my heart for all of us. It really does. But I think that there are a lot of lessons. I think if we step back and take a look at how far we've come, and that's kind of the analogy I always use. I love beachcombing. And so often when I'm walking on a beach and picking up shells or picking up stones or looking at the houses, I just wander. And when you turn around and see how far you've gone and you think, wow, I didn't even know that. But if you look back at your footprints, you can also see and look at the the, uh, treasure in your hands, perhaps, if it's shells or stones, look at how many things you've experienced along the way. And so that's the same thing is true when you get to the other side of a dark day and you turn around and look back and you think, wow, I'm here because of that. But if that hadn't happened, all these things along the way wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't have the same experiences, the same knowledge, the same ability to give back to the rest of the world because of that experience. And I think COVID is the same thing. There, there have to have been some bright things that came out as, as a result of COVID. I'd like to think that there is. I was having this discussion uh, with my wife a month or so ago where I, I'm with you in the sense that I think that when I look back at nothing remotely compared to what you've dealt with, but some of the more challenging times in my life. It's not a contest. It's <laughs> very true. But you look back in retrospect and, and those times have turned out to be phenomenal gifts. Yeah. You know, when you came out the other side, the yep. things that you learned, the changes that you made, uh, the action that you took to change some things you may not have liked in your life. It's all been incredibly positive. And, and the conversation we were having is, okay, so we've now, we've come through this and we've been very blessed in my family in the last couple of years in terms of, you know, first of all, living in a part of the country where things have been, Arizona has been pretty good relative to some other parts of the country. Being both, she's in healthcare, of course, I'm in financial services, two businesses that, uh, or industries rather that we, we didn't own a restaurant, we'll put it that way. Right. And we've been, we've been fortunate in a lot of ways. And I wonder from a society standpoint, what is going to be the positive that comes out of this? Because there will be one. I don't know what it is yet, but I wonder that a lot. Like, what, what is going to be the lesson learned? What is going to be the thing where we look back on this and as, as an entire society, not just the United States, but around the world, and say, wow, this, it was terrible when we were in it, but thank God it happened because X, Y, and Z occurred. Well, one of one of the things that that I find really interesting because I've now become this I'm still a storyteller, but now I'm telling stories about medical things. So as a result of From Shadows to Life, I became acquainted with the woman who is the subject of my current book project, which yeah. will be out sometime next year. She is responsible for the National Institutes of Health being plural. Prior to her, it was just National Institute. And 
she said, well, this is ridiculous. We should have we should have more money for medical research, and we should have different institutes working on different diseases. So the NIH has certainly taken some some hits, and I'm not going to travel the political road, but one of the things that I find the most fascinating is in putting together the shot that they have and the boosters, <clears throat> that was a result of the research of research from all of the institutes. It wasn't just infectious diseases. The Cancer Institute has learned about immunotherapy and teaching your body to go fight cancer. So that was a big that was a big plus. Of course, the, the infectious diseases that that goes without saying. Heart and lung. What do we need to do to protect the heart and lung from whatever this is we're going to give to people? So when you think about all of these, the National Institutes of Health is probably the greatest scientific and medical research center in the world. I mean, it was the U.S. that came up with this, right? And and we did borrow research and share research with um, with other countries. There's no doubt about that. So Regardless of where you fall on the whole shot thing and, and all the people involved with it, just the fact that we have something like that in our country that can come together and, and create stuff, I think that's really cool. The one thing that's missing with the shot that, you know, that will remain to be seen are the long-term effects. And as a cancer survivor, I know that far better than non-cancer survivors do, that there are always long-term effects to treatments of diseases. But I, I just find that fascinating. And what I would hope, this has been a horribly divisive thing, which for a disease, you know, you think people get divided about wars or the economy. For a disease to divide the country is pretty interesting. But I really hope that when we look back at our footprints coming through COVID, we realize that there were lots of ways that people came together to help one another, you know, buying local, eating local um, from local restaurants, doing things together, learning. This is the biggest thing, learning that we don't have to live so large. We don't need as much stuff as we have. We don't need, we just don't need to live as large as we do. Yeah. I think that one of the um, things that may come out of this is having, I've not served in the military, but having spoken to vets that have returned, being, being in a combat situation has put life, day-to-day -day life into a different perspective for mm -hmm. them. People that have, that have survived as you have life-threatening illnesses. They look at things differently. Yeah. There's, it's less superficial. It's a lot less frivolous. And I do think that in conversations that I've had with people over the last couple of years, when certain things have been taken away from them, there's a new appreciation for for a lot of those things in their lives and what they can do. And, and really the, the relationship, because this cut right at the core. It wasn't where we could all rally together. No. It was, no, your neighbor, like your neighbor may kill you or, yep. or you may kill grandmom <clears throat> if you go see them. Yep. And, and it was incredibly... Um, you know, the pandemic was unique in that regard, where, where it, 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 by its very nature, separated people as opposed to brought them together. And, and hopefully, once we get back into you know, this post-pandemic world, which I, I'm very optimistic, I think we're really close to being mm -hmm. there, but that the lessons in terms of how, how deeply important these personal relationships are, are, are what people will take away from that. That's right. That's, that's my goal anyway. Well, and you know, I, I always laugh about, you know, use the good china, sleep on the nice sheets, don't <laughs> exactly. save it for a special day, you know, just yeah. really recognize that life is fragile and that 
there's there's an awful lot of good i i prefer to think there's an awful lot of good in people than there is bad but if you come across toxic people that aren't that aren't helping you then that's okay too move on exactly move on well thank you so much for for coming in here and before we before we end this first of all your books are amazing thank you and it should be read by everyone listening uh, also, the stories being told through a second act are absolutely incredible. Oh, so we, you. we share with us some of the resources to, to find your books, um, to find a second act, to find what you're up to on a day-to-day absolutely. basis. Absolutely. So asecondact.org, and the second is a, a, the numeral 2ND, not spelled out. Um, and from there, you can uh, see all those videos I talked about, um, order the book, see the the craziness that goes on at girls night out events my website is judith l pearson p-e-a-r-s-o-n.com and uh the prologues to all of my books are on the website um and i'm just about to um post information on the on the new book that i'm writing um and then on twitter and instagram follow me at judith p writes but i'm just judy judith is the name my mother used to call me when I was in trouble and <laughs> my ex-husband said would make my book covers make me look smarter on my book covers it does look very very official that's why Judith. he's the ex <laughs> <laughs> I like it I like it Brent thank you so much this has been so much fun oh, my pleasure thank you for, for coming in here and, and having this discussion with me thanks Judy what a powerful and beautiful story you have um, I, I oh, thank, thank you, you. For, yeah I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and of course Brent thank you so much for bringing on another amazing guest um, I can't wait for the next one because, I mean, I don't know how you're going to top this one. <laughs> so uh, with that being said, we also want to say thank you to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And this is a great one to share. It's so encouraging. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available.